0: We're calling today Sexual Freedom and Sexual Bondage. Sexual Freedom and Sexual Bondage. In March, just a few weeks, I'm taking my son, John Ryan, on his man trip. Now, I've referenced the man trips I do with my boys uh, on this stage occasionally. But l- if you're new or I've gotten so many questions about this, I'm going to take time to kind of plow through that as a way of setting us up for our conversation today. My John Ryan is just on the verge of becoming a man. Physically in his body, he told me the other day. I don't want to embarrass him, but he told me the other day he thought he had some hair growing under his, under his nose, and it was just a shadow. But he's like, he's real close. He's real close to becoming a physical man. And so I used to teach high school, and I watched a lot of guys take steps towards physical manhood, emotional manhood, and they weren't ready. I remembered my own kind of journey stumbling, you maybe remember it, it's called junior high, Um, kind of stumbling along the way, ninth grade, I used to teach ninth graders, and so what I do with my boys when they're around 10, 11 years old, John, we pushed a little out there, um, because he just seemed young to us, but I take them away, and I have some conversations with them. They're conversations like what we're trying to have around here in our love and respect in a Fifty Shades world because I know that the culture is going to speak to my son. I know it is. It's on television commercials. We were at the grocery store the other day, and it's in the little aisle ends there, and it's speaking, and I'm watching my sons pay attention to what's there. It's, it's on the Internet all over. You can type in the most uh, the most innocent <laughs> and boring comments into a Google search and draw up all kinds of goofiness. And so the culture is just going to speak to my sons. And they're, they're young, right? Kids are young, and they don't understand sometimes that there are competing values. And it's just messages, and sometimes they don't know how to filter them. So I take my sons away for a few days, one at a time. About time they're 10 to 11, and we have these conversations. And here's why I do it. Because I have a vision For my kids. Like as a dad, I have a vision for them. It's very simple. I'll tell you what it is. I want God to be the primary voice in their life. I I know that at this age, about 10, 11, up to this point, my wife and I, Jill and I, are the primary voices. I know that between about 10 to 15, that's going to begin to shift, and their friends' voices are going to have a growing place in their life. Somewhere in there, there might be, in in the case of my boys, there might be a girl that's going to have a lot of influence. Her voice is going to carry a lot of weight with my sons. And so for me, on the verge of their physical manhood as, you know, just trying to get ahead of the curve, I want to make sure that they know that their dad's heart for them is that God have the primary voice in their life. It's a vision I have for them, and it has huge implications Huge implications, because I'm asking them, think about this, to do something that's very difficult. I'm asking them to make a very mature decision internally about a filter that they're going to apply while they're still very young and don't even understand how important it is. I do that, by the way, in all different kinds of areas in their life. I ask my kids to get up and take school seriously, do their homework well engage their studies because i don't expect them to understand how important education is and self-discipline is i just know that if i can get them in that healthy place to understand those behaviors that go along with valuing education then the benefit of that is going to rub off on them and that's exactly what i'm trying to do with this trip so we go away john and i will go to florida we'll go uh, fish some, for some sharks we'll catch a few that'll be fun Uh, We'll go to Universal and ride some roller coasters. I'll get sick. He'll laugh at me. That'll be fun. And then in the in-between, we'll be having what will appear to him to be a lot of casual conversations, but they're not casual at all. I'm talking to him about becoming a man. And so, for instance, I'm going to explain a handful of things, and you may think worse of your pastor here, and that's okay. Understand that while I do care what you think about me, what I am more concerned about is the impact on my son. So, this is my attempt to be disclosing, not my attempt inviting your feedback, all right? You can feedback on the message. This is my parenting. It's none of your business, but I'll share it with you, all right? I'm going to explain to my son all the curse words he might hear. I know he's heard several already because his mom talks a little salty. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But I'm going to explain all the curse words. I don't want them to have the appeal of mystery. And so sometimes just shining a little light on those things. Because I'll we'll hear them say with emphasis, they'll be used as adjectives punctuating various sentences. I just want them to understand what they really mean and to understand if they have a place or not. And how he can maybe talk to his dad a little bit differently than he's allowed to talk to his mom. And certainly than how he's allowed to talk to his teachers at school. I'm going to talk to him about his body and what he can expect going to be happening uh, I assume some changes are already beginning and uh, I can see where his eyes are going like I said in the grocery store But I don't want him to get caught off guard by changes in his body I, I want to have that conversation with him And I want to couch him in terms of what the bible describes him as as fearfully and wonderfully made so when certain chemical reactions happen in his body In response to various Often visual stimuli. I want him to know that that's part of god's beautiful design for him And that while it's private It isn't dirty. It's something to understand and know, not something to be afraid of. And then we're going to have a very interesting conversation about all the different changes that happen in girls' bodies. And uh, what I'm trying to do there is, again, say that just like boys, women are made in the image of God, even though physically we look very differently. And that's part of being fearfully and wonderfully made as a woman because I want to elevate for him, not fear and mystery, but knowledge, and more important than knowledge, a value about the knowledge that God made women this way, and their bodies begin to change. And as he is becoming a man and getting in a place physically where he could be a father himself, women around him, girls around him will be changing, and there's all kinds of things that happen. So we'll have some very like awkward conversations. And I'll describe things that are going to happen monthly in a girl's body. And he's going you know, he's 10, 11 years old, and probably doesn't know a whole lot about that. We're going to take that mystery away and talk about how God's design for us is wonderful. I'm going to take him all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where God made man and woman. And I'm going to use a common illustration I use often when I preach that passage that God made Eve from the rib of Adam so that she could stand side by side with him, not from his feet, so that he could rule over her, and not from his head, so that she could rule over him, but that they could be partners in life. And God complimented our bodies to be joined together. And we're going to get to a very interesting set of conversations about sexuality and mechanically how does it work and what's really going on. And while I won't be graphic and I'm not going to go into the finer points of detail, we're not going to be looking at the joy of sex together or anything like that, I am going to explain mechanically how things go together. and, and then And then... We're going to talk about masturbation and what's going on there. and Because of our culture, I'm going to introduce to him what porn is. I'm not going to introduce him to porn, but what it is and our values for that as a family and why we don't allow that stuff in our home and some of the safeguards we've done. And I'm going to be honest with him about some of my own struggles where I didn't have quite the tools and nobody was leaning in with me until later. I'm going to just be honest with him about all that stuff because I have a vision for him. I have a vision that God's voice and God's values are at the top of the list for him. And so in all of these things, we're talking about God's heart and what did God want. Because I know the culture has a vision for him. And as a pastor, there's a verse that guides so much of what I do. I don't have it for you on the screen, but it's Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. See if you've ever heard this verse before. It says, without a vision the people cast off restraint. Without a vision, the people cast off a restraint. off, off restraint. And so I've seen this happen like um, in, in mine and Jill's finances, for instance. We didn't have a vision for where we wanted to go. And because we didn't have a vision for where we really wanted to go, where we wanted to end up, we didn't exercise a lot of restraint in the process because we really weren't trying to get anywhere. We were just trying to make sure, in a simple term, that our income exceeded our outflow. And we weren't very good about that. We didn't really have a goal. And so because we didn't have a goal, there was no real restraint. I see this happen in churches all the time. I was with 112 or so church leaders this week talking about things that God's doing in our church and sharing with them about some of the things that guide us, some of our core values and practices, knowing that for many of those churches, they're just preaching and singing and praying, but they don't really have a vision about where they're trying to go. And because they don't have a vision about where they're trying to go, what happens is, people cast off restraint, and then it becomes an interesting hodgepodge mixture of values and preferences and personalities, and church can get very awkward. When people have a vision for their marriage, for instance, it affects how they argue and how they plan. You have a vision for your parenting, it affects how, I want my kids, I want my church to have a vision for what God wants to do in your life sexually. and want you to have a vision because if you get a vision of what God wants, what it does for you is it helps you embrace an important life principle that you don't get anywhere good without some restraint. Self-imposed restraint. There's a word for that. We call it Maturity. Until you begin to impose some self-restraint. That's hard to get anywhere good in any category of life. Those of you that are finance-oriented, like you get numbers. You see that in finances, don't you? Those of you that are kind of relationally oriented. You see that in marriage relationships. That imposed restraint helps marriages do better. It keeps guys from talking about their wives in derogatory terms behind their backs. It keeps girls from gossiping about their husbands in ways that tear them down and aren't respectful. They impose restraint on themselves. They could. They probably have some validity to it, but they choose to operate in restraint. And that restraint makes a vision of a better marriage begin to come alive. It's that shared vision of what we want our marriages to be. Our sex life to be, our finances to be, our parenting to be, our understanding about sex to be, that shared vision that helps us embrace restraint, because here's our first point. No one can separate liberty from parameters. No one. All I mean by that is, is you will not be free in any area of life until you, at first, impose some restraint. You can't separate freedom from responsibility. People try all the time. It's just not possible. You cannot live life anywhere and embrace freedom that eventually responsibility or restraining won't be imposed on you. There's a way to live freedom in the moment and think that you're very free. But eventually, if you stay on that path, whether you choose it or not, you're going to get restrained. You see this, by the way, with, uh, with chemical addiction. It feels like freedom. It is freedom. People take substances in, and it feels awesome, or they wouldn't do it. Or at least if it doesn't feel awesome, it covers some hurt. We call it term self-medicating, and it feels so wonderful. But eventually, whether they choose to or not, that very freedom will bring restraint and limitation in their life. I, one of the ways we we manage this financially in our home is with this very man trip I'm doing with my son. There's a budget, and he has to make that money go as far as he wants it to go, knowing that up to the line, he has incredible freedom. Beyond that line, lots of restraint. I'm just trying to teach him that we don't have unlimited funds in our home, and money truly doesn't grow on trees, and we can do a lot, but we can't do everything, and that's part of becoming a man. Because part of maturity is embracing the fact that, yes, you can do everything, but I'm going to choose not to. I'm going to choose not to do everything because that self-restraint will open me to greater freedom later. And people who embrace that financially come into retirement in better places. People who embrace that relationally in their marriage come to their second, third, seventh, 25th anniversary in a better place. There are things we could do, but we're going to choose not to. We're going to exercise some restraint so that later on we have some freedom. It's the whole principle of restraint now and freedom later, or freedom now and restrained later. Now the problem is, is this idea that freedom and responsibility can't be separated is completely countercultural, completely. Our culture, advertisers, I would like to say, people who want your money, will promise you unlimited freedom. And man, it resonates down deep inside of us. And then when you take a kid going from about 11 to 15, all this stuff's happening anyway, and they're beginning to reject or at least investigate the authority structures about them, it speaks into their life the hope for freedom, the hope to be an individual, to do whatever you want. It's my body. I'll do what I want. Nobody will tell me what to do. How dare you? Who do you think you are? That speaks deeply to us, and freedom resonates. And as a country, we love freedom. Freedom is powerful. It's good, but it's a lie to believe that you can have freedom in any area of your life unrestrained. Eventually, the very expression of the freedoms will bring you to a point of restriction. Sometimes that will happen because of laws. Yeah, you're free to stand up right here and yell fire. And we have a few firemen who'll take you down because you just can't do that sort of thing. You're free but you restrain yourself. You can go spend all the money you have and you can run up credit cards. You're free, but eventually that will restrict you. And I want my sons, and as a pastor, I want my church to embrace the idea that in sexuality, yeah, you're free. But eventually freedom brings restraint. Or you can self-restrain and then have freedom because Our culture defines freedom as doing whatever your heart feels is the right thing to do. But God defines freedom as liberty within parameters. And that's part of giving God the loudest voice in your life. Embracing that he wants you to be free within parameters. Our culture, by the way, abhors parameters, doesn't it? And yet God gives them for our betterment. Because God's wisdom is better than ours. Some of you, when you were 15, 16, 20, made decisions because you were free, but now that you're 35, 40, 55, you look back and go, oh, if I had known then what I know now, I might make different choices. Our culture abhors parameters. When you're 11 to 15 to 25 to 35 and sometimes we never grow out of it, we don't like any restraint. So our culture screams, don't tell me what to do. And God says, I'm going to tell you what to do. And there's the problem. We don't like that. We like some of the benefits that come from having a relationship with God because that frees us in some ways. But we don't like the fact that as our Savior, he also becomes our Lord. Now what I want to do for the next couple of minutes, I want to take you through a passage where the Apostle Paul is dealing with the church at Corinth, and his whole discussion is on freedom and restraint. Freedom and restraint. And it's broadly applicable. It just so happens, though, that at Corinth, that culture in that modern city of its day is a whole lot like ours. It was a place of competing values. It was not a homogenous society. It was not America in the 1800s. It probably wasn't even America in the the 1950s. Somewhere about 1960 to 2015, America kind of caught up with Corinthian values. Competing religious belief systems opened in the marketplace unfettered access unrestrained access to sexual expression in fact if you wanted to call a woman a loose woman or a guy a rogue you would say to them you Corinthian kind of like you know saying to somebody are you from Hamilton? It's kind of like that I'm sorry I'm going to have to go further out aren't I I'm going to have to go further out I apologize I'm not from here they just tell me that that's the reference point all right Totally joking, totally joking. Where I'm from, in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is a small podunk town, we would say, are you from Benton? So like Benton's even smaller, right? Corinthians, the Corinthians were loose. This is the way they were viewed. They were loose people, a very metropolitan environment, a melting pot of ideas, and the Apostle Paul led a church there. So all through the Corinthian, he's dealing with... "Eh, 9 to 11, depending on how you count. Core problems in that church. Things like, things churches are still debating. How do we exercise the spiritual gifts in the life of the church? What's the role of authority in the life of a church? Who gets to have say? Oh, and what do we do with sexual values? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes these words to the Corinthians. He says... I have the right to do anything. And by the way, that's in quotes. This was a slogan in Corinth, an empire city, where if you were a Roman citizen, you had incredible freedom. And so the the phrase of the modern Epicureans, we might call those people passion lovers. These were were people who had unrestrained lives, the Epicureans. They were lovers of freedom and lovers of pleasure. One of their phrases was, I can do whatever I want. So Paul says, you can say you have the right to do anything, but then he says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but then he says, but, but, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. You say, here's another phrase of the Epicureans, all right? Kind of this philosophy, seeking pleasure with life. You say, Food for the stomach, and stomach for food. And then he says, and God will destroy them both. In other words, do you know why we eat? Because your stomach was made to eat, food's made to eat. It's just the biology of life. There are body parts made for eating, we're going to satisfy that. Guess what they said about sexuality? There are body parts made for sexual pleasure, it's not anything more than biological commingling. It means nothing more than body parts joining the way they were meant to join, and so Paul's using this setup of, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but not everything's beneficial. You can do whatever you want, but some things will master you. And yes, you have body parts that can be joined, but at the end of the day, all of your body parts are going to rot in the ground somewhere. There might be something more going on. So he writes, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. In other words, God is Lord over the body. And he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So he's talking to Christian people. We're the body of Christ. Our bodies are Christ himself in this earth. And then he says, posing a question, shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Am I going to dishonor me being a part of the body of Christ and step outside of God's bounds sexually? Never. Then verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? In other words, there's more than just commingling. You're more than just one in physical connection. Something happens, and he explores this a little bit later. For it is said, the two become one flesh but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. He says it's, it's incongruent to say, I'll do whatever I want as a believer and then to unite yourself outside of God's bounds sexually. Well, Those 2 don't go together. So then he says in verse number 18, so here's what we have to do then as followers of Jesus. You remember, he's not writing to the world. He's writing to believers. He says, flee sexual immorality. All the other sins a person commits are outside of his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You are bought with the price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own in your body. You're bought with the blood of Jesus, with his death and resurrection. And because of that, then honor God even with your bodies. Now, this idea of freedom was not new to Paul. He is, in the theologian's terms, the apostle of freedom. He wants people to be free. In fact, you can go to the book of Galatians, just another book. There was a city called Galatia, Corinth, Galatia. He writes to the Galatians. And that book is often called the epistle or the letter of freedom. And he's like exploring all the freedom themes. This was a big deal in Rome. We're citizens. We're free. We can do whatever we want. We're Americans. We're free. We can do whatever we want. So Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It's a big deal to God. Therefore, keep standing firm and then don't become subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now he's talking specifically about people who are trying to earn right relationship with God through obeying laws. And he says, look, that's a slavery. But there's a more broadly applicable principle here that in the quest for freedom, we have to be careful that we don't become enslaved because you cannot, and I cannot, and my John Ryan will not ever be able to separate a life principle that says every freedom has a corresponding restraint. Every freedom has a corresponding responsibility. And you can't truly be free without that responsibility embraced. It will either be thrust upon you, or you will self-impose it. Later on in that same chapter, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity to your flesh. There's a lot you can do, but just be careful. And this is what I'm going to say to my sons. Listen, John, I want you to think that a female's body is beautiful and attractive. I just want you to learn, as I've had to, and it's difficult, to avert your eyes and not see them simply as an object of your pleasure. There's a difference between acknowledging beauty and objectifying a woman. It's a hard thing. I have freedom. But I'm going to impose self-restraint in hopes that my restraint now brings freedom later. I'm going to teach my son that men, men like to have sex. This is scientifically proven. Men like to have sex on days of the week that begin with T. Tuesdays, Thursdays, today, tomorrow. I'm going to teach him that. And I'm going to say, that's good. I'm glad you have an active sex drive. And if you don't know what that is, son, you will. You will. But I'm going to ask you to impose some restraint now so that you can have some freedom later i'm going to hopefully teach my sons that our souls and our bodies are vitally connected that's what paul was trying to say and while you can connect you're free to connect physically what you won't be able to do is stop the fact that your souls are actually mingling together and how your soul is surrendered and how it's connected will influence how your body is used. And I'm going to try to help him understand that God's voice has to be the loudest voice. And that as followers of Jesus, sometimes it doesn't always make sense, sometimes our bodies scream against it, but God calls us to restrain so that we can have freedom later. So what the enemy is going to offer, my son, is freedom now, but he doesn't tell him that all the freedom now will result later in life in a restraint. There will be images and memories that will come forward. That the intimacy that is sacrificed on the altar of freedom will not be gained later when he finds a wife that he wants to be the mother of his children. That intimacy will be difficult to regain if freedom is stepped outside of its bounds here. It will be tough that he'll have to, as a young man, learn in finances, with his own words, how he expresses his anger, and what he does with his body parts, he'll have to choose some self-restraint. Because in doing so, that will buy him freedom later. And he won't understand it experientially yet. And the culture will promise him all other kinds of things. And movies and books, which are based on fantasy, they don't have to deal with the real reality of relational goofiness and messiness will promise him unrestrained freedom. I always feel like there should be the, 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 not the trailer, the movie preview, but like the thing that, I wish there would be like a movie thing that would come after movies. So there's this young guy, young girl, and they're just doing whatever they want and they seem to be free and happy and then they kind of stumble into a healthy relationship. I'd like to take the movie 10, 15 years forward. And just say, look son, this is the real picture of what happens. And as a parent, as a pastor, as a high school teacher, I can share with him dozens of stories of people who experienced freedom and then restraint was thrust upon them. I want him to understand that if your soul is laid each day on the altar of self-will and you do what pleases you only, you'll please self at every opportunity. It always says more and more and more. Feed me. But when your soul is surrendered to its creator, you're going to strive, and it'll be work, to do what pleases him and honors him. I'm going to help him understand that the Bible says that in marriage, the marriage bed is undefiled to keep it pure. So there's a lot you can do in marriage. But that's the one place God has offered us to have free sexual expression. And so if he'll restrain himself here, he's setting himself for greater freedom later isn't that really the option in front of us the enemy says great freedom now and he lies about the fact that restraint will be cast upon you and god so let's be clear in advertising self-restraint here allows and in fact provides a vehicle for greater freedom and intimacy later that's gonna be a hard sale to an 11 year old so we have to keep the conversation going and we have to do it in churches too don't we Because every generation has to have this conversation again. What is God's heart on sexuality? Here it is. Restraint now so you can have freedom later. And the world and the culture and even our own bodies scream at us, freedom now, but it lies and doesn't remind us or inform us about the restraint that will be cast upon us later. I know that I'm giving this message in a room of people, including myself, who have stepped over the lines. So what's a Christian guy or girl to do when they cross the line? Here's what I've observed. There's really two ways to respond. There's rebellion or repentance. You know what rebellion is. No, I won't do it your way. No, you won't tell me what to do. I am free. It's my body. I'll do what I want. Quit condemning me. That's rebellion. Biblically speaking. I didn't define it that way. There's God's standard and we say no to it. And so for a Christian then that is outside of God's standard and we're confronted with the truth of that, like maybe in a conversation today, we have an option to stay in that not your way, God. I will not submit. Or the other way the Bible offers is repentance. God. I blew it. I'm sorry. I bring you my sin. I ask you to forgive it. So far we're all tracking with that. And then there's this next piece. And I'm going to turn away from my sin. It's the story of the woman at the well who's caught in the very act of adultery and they're going to stone her. And Jesus says, Woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. And then he says, You know the last part of that, right? We're over here now? He says, now go and sin no more. And there's the rub. Because the self and the culture and the intimacy and the feelings of closeness stand counter to God's design. So what's a Christian woman or guy to do? It's either to live in rebellion or to repent before God. And one of the things I like about this church is we've tried to make it very clear that God cares more about your next step than he does your missteps, And so we are bold in proclaiming, neither do I condemn you. But we try to also be clear that there's great freedom in embracing the fact that God says to people who break his laws, go and sin no more. I'm going to try to get my son to understand all that while we're riding roller coasters and fishing for sharks and riding with the top down in the convertible and buying a few cool meals. And I'd ask for your prayers for that. And I'd ask for your prayers as a pastor of this church, try to get our church to embrace the fact that God isn't here to kill our joy. He's here to give us freedom with restraint. And I'd ask for your prayers as our people get together and they discuss what love and respect can really look like in the relationships we care about. And I'd ask for your prayers that people who think they don't have time would go ahead and find time, make time to make it happen. Because at the end of the day, there's incredible freedom in Christ. And he was honest with us and told that we participate in that freedom when we offer him ourselves fully Embracing the restraints that he brings to us. Now with all that said, why don't we grab out our connect cards. And let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I want to give everybody in this room right now an opportunity to check next step A, which says today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. I believe that one of the reasons why if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you should get in one is because he is honest with us and he really does offer us freedom. He offers us freedom from the sins past And he offers us freedom from the hold, the stranglehold of sin. If you're not yet in a relationship with him, why don't you check that box as an act of your faith. In a moment, I'm going to pray and you can use my words or use your own. And look to God and say, God, I disagree with what your word says about me. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I bring you my life. And I trust Jesus. The Bible says that if you do that, that you're born again, that you're saved, you're in a right relationship. We say it around here, you become a follower of Jesus. Or how about next step B? If if you check A, go ahead and check B. You want to get baptized. Or if you haven't been baptized yet as an adult, why don't you go public with your faith? Check that box, let us communicate with you. Some of us in the room would do great by just getting a little bit more into God's Word and discovering His heart. And you can do that with next step C. Get into a small group, write the number right there on the line. Just next step C, so it's LR, Love and Respect 1, or LR3, our learning group, LO3, which would be um, the um, crash the chatterbox if you're 20-something. Just write it in there. And then the leader will be in touch with you this week, and we'll get rolling on those things, and you'll have a community around you that will help you be honest with yourself about restraint and freedom and whatever else we're discussing. Next step D says, God, today I repent. And I return to you in your ways. It's broadly applicable. It's across the spectrum. I have to check that box. Not because I've been sexually sinning this week, but because I fall short pretty regularly. And so It's broadly applicable. And today it's just a call for us to acknowledge that and try to go and sin no more with His power and strength. Not about earning it, but about embracing the forgiveness and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. To free us, not only from sin's past, but from the power of sin. By the way, men, and sometimes ladies, if you're struggling with pornography, you understand that God wants to forgive that, but He also wants to break that in you. That happens from the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. You begin to walk in line with God, and He empowers you to truly be free. And here's next step B. Whether it's on this point or not, it just simply says, pray for our marriage. Pray for my marriage. And I'll take next step B, and you will be my prayer concerns all week long. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you're the God that brings us freedom. That you're honest with us about it, that every freedom has a corresponding responsibility. There's always liberty with restraint. And Father, I pray that in this room, whether it's in sex, in finances, in relationship, in, our, in the way we eat, we would never buy the lie of the culture of the world of our enemy that says you can have freedom without restraint. I pray that instead, God, we would embrace your wisdom. God, I want to pray right now for those that are turning their hearts over to you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Become the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. God, I pray for the men and women in this room who have stepped over your lines that we would find forgiveness in Jesus and we'd find empowerment from the Holy Spirit as we soften and humble ourselves before you to get up and walk clean and free. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.